What is the measure of a man? What does it mean to lead a life well lived? I often thought about those questions, and with the help of John Assetti, I had the opportunity to explore them through John's amazing life. John is spry and vibrant at the age of 93, and I met him after he had published his seventh book at age 92. As I got to know John and his life story, I wanted to share this amazing and inspiring journey, which began in Niagara Falls in the 1930s, to his current life in the hill country of Texas. Overcoming an humiliating childhood incident at age eight, John was the first in his family to go to college, served in the Air Force, became a teacher, a principal, and retired from his first career. In his second career, He and his wife traveled internationally and ended up in Kerrville, Texas, where John began yet another career as an author. Join me on this most fascinating journey from last to first with John Assetti. In this episode, John talks about his transformation of the education experience as an administrator. John, after you finished at Genesee, or rather, you were recruited to move into school administration as a principal. Yes, sir. Could you tell us about that? Where did you go, and what level school were you a principal at? I had heard rumor at Geneseo that the college was going to be closing the lab school in a year or two. So I figured at that time, it's time for me to begin looking elsewhere. And I was certified in administration, so I thought maybe it's time to look for a principal's position. And uh, there weren't any in the immediate area, but there was one opening in Olean, New York, which was in the southern, southwestern part of the state. So I applied there and received a call from the superintendent of schools who had looked at my resume. And this is while I was in my principal's office at the campus school, because he, had, he was speaking to the principal, not me. And he explained to the principal, this is Dr. Oscar calling from Olean, New York, and he's interested in knowing what kind of an educator John Assetti was. And I was sitting right in the office at that time. And he explained who he was to the principal. And and I was very impressed with the principal of the school saying that John's really a, a true educator. And so the superintendent asked him, is he a yes man? And the principal said, absolutely not. He always asking questions, always questioning people, always learning. And so the superintendent told the the principal, tell him that the job is his if he wants it. And he told me that. So I finally moved to my wife and children to Olean, New York, and started my career at the North Hill Elementary School. And there were only about 300 students at that point and about just eight or 10 teachers. Once I start working there, I found out something that sort of shocked me, is that I had just come from the campus school at the university and we were on top of everything, right on top of education, curriculum, You name it, and we were right up on top there. And unfortunately, the Olean schools were not there. 
I was disappointed because I had to readjust myself to that. And I remember one day walking down the hall of the school, and a teacher was coming towards me, and she was crying. I said, hey, can I help you? She said, yes. I said, what's the problem? She said, you come here, and you're the principal with all your new ideas, and we're just not used to that. I'm not used to setting goals and also writing goals out on a sheet of paper to give to you and then tell you how whether I achieved it or not. I said, that's just normal educational procedure where I come from anyway or any school. We don't do that here. We are let alone and we just teach and that's it. That took me back because I was saying, how do they know if they were successful in teaching? Can you tell me that? She said, we know it. I said, how do you find out? Whether kids are learning how to read, do they read successfully? Do they do programs successfully in your classroom? That's what we've been doing this for years here. I, I have to know because I have to supervise you and I have to evaluate you as well as all the other teachers. And so we really need to tell me what the goals of your lesson are, how you plan to evaluate and whether you've been successful or not what the kids learn, what materials you use, and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm really trying to help the school improve. That's my role here. That's how I see it. So that was a, that was really a, a really block for me, by the way. But I adjusted. But by the time I, I finished the year off, I found out that the school district... And no, no offense, that's who they were about 20 or 30 years behind what most schools are doing. Very lackadaisical about education. There was no, no continuity, no, no structure. So I had to organize all that. And not only that, I found out that the teachers were using the textbooks to teach the curriculum. And they were being tested on the curriculum guide but not the book. So all their scores were always low every year on the test that were given out to all the schools. So I, I met with each teacher, and I had them explain to me, how, tell me how you teach, and what do you use? And I found out they all use the textbook from page 1 to page 348. I said, well, do you use the curriculum guide? No. I said, well, that's the reason why you have that. We give you out the curriculum guide, if you teach the curriculum guide, all the material on the test is all is in the curriculum guide. So that's why your scores are low. Oh, <laughs> but they didn't accept that. They just didn't believe it or accept it. I had to take a couple of years to get them moving. And I knew that I had to do something with the attitude of teachers. I had to, I had a light of fire underneath them because there didn't seem to be much enthusiasm, except for maybe one or two or three teachers. But just, just lackadaisical, I have to come here and teach, and that's it. So I had to come up with programs that would entice them. And some of the programs I came up with, in fact, quite a few programs I came up with, which included not only local but international programs that I brought into that school in order to excite the teachers that, hey, 
This is education that's being done all over the world, coming down to our little school here. And I brought in, in fact, I was in contact with the education department in New York State, and I asked them if they had any people who would be interested in spending a year with us, either volunteering, we'll find room and board for them, but we can't pay them, but we'll give them the experience. They said, yeah, we have a person from Japan that would love to come to your place. I said, okay, we'll take her. It was a young woman. She was about 26 years old. And she spent a year with us at my school, not the school district, but my school. And we, she stayed with us for six months, and she stayed with another person, for a family, for six months. And she loved it. She came very polite and bowed all the time to everybody. And by the time she left at the year's end, I had all the kids out in the hallway out in front of their classrooms to say goodbye to her as she walked through the hallways, and they all cried. And she cried like a baby when she saw that. But it gave them some international experience because this young lady taught a number of things. Language, compared to Japanese, compared to English. She taught art. She taught music. She taught dressage, dressing, different kinds of clothes. And she would go to different classrooms and work throughout the day for that. And she loved it. She really enjoyed that. And then she talked to parent groups also, by the way. The parents just loved it to see this kind of concept being brought in to the kids. They were being offered this. And so I was there. And then they gave me another school. So I had two schools to serve as principal. So I had to travel back and forth each day to each school make sure things were organized, supervise them, evaluate them. It was a trial, but it was okay. I was young, and I could handle that. When I moved from North Hill, uh, the superintendent asked me if I would be willing to go to Eastview School, which is a practical news school with no walls. It was open education. The new, the open school concept. That's right, that's right. And I, I said, I'll be very happy. They, he, wanted, I had, he offered me two schools. I said, no, that's one. That's fine. I'll take that one. So I went there. But I had a problem. I had heard words that the teachers, when they heard that I was coming there, oh, especially in the teacher's room, they blew their top. We don't want him here. He's too strict. He's too mean. We don't want him here at all. What was interesting about that, and I thought to myself, that's a compliment to me. I'm glad I heard that, that I'm strict and mean. I'm trying to get the job done. But what happened is that in the same room where the teachers were complaining, there was the kindergarten teacher there who worked with me. She taught half days at my school. So she was sitting there listening to these teachers complaining about me because I was going to be the principal there. So she stood up and she you know, clapped her hands real loud and said, Give me your attention, ladies. She said, Let me just share something with you. It's obvious that you just don't know Mr. Ossetti at all. I work with him, not for him, but with him. And he's probably one of the best principals I've ever had. And I'm going to tell you why. If you do your job the way you're supposed to be doing it, you will never have a problem with him. 
But if you're not going to do your job, he's going to be after you. Call that meanness or call that professionalism. That's up to you. And you couldn't hear a pin drop. There was no more discussion. I'm not sure how many times I thanked that teacher. (laughs) So let me explore the open school concept. I haven't heard that term in 40 years. But I remember when that came out, and I never went to a school with the open school concept. I struggled with it as a young boy. My mother was a teacher, my dad a professor. She was not in favor of it. But tell me what the open school concept was, and did you feel like it was a positive or forward step innovation-wise for teaching? I've heard so many different interpretations of the open school. And one, it was a nice school, a very nice school design. But what they did is that they had cupboards that made like a wall for each classroom. So it really wasn't open, except there was, there was a clearing up above the cabinets. And in the cabinets, kids would put their coats and their books and so on. Every classroom had that. But the purpose of the open school concept was to allow teachers and kids to move around a little more rather than limited to just four walls. And they had hope that with that concept that uh, they would do better in school. I didn't notice any difference myself because uh, all the cupboards that were bought for the teachers served as walls. But you can hear your class next to you because there was no opening up above. But uh, it was a good school. We had, some, we had a lot of good teachers in both schools, by the way. And uh, in fact, I found that uh, teachers in general, the majority of them, do a great job. I have no qualms. But however, I've had friends who tell me that the educational system and teachers are all terrible. I said, no, that's not true. I have evaluated teachers, and I have helped teachers. I have taught teachers. And I said, the majority of them are great. You may have one or two that, that should not be teaching at all. I'll give you several examples of that. I happened, and I was the kind of person, the kind of administrator, that I would walk the halls all the time. I would go and sit in classrooms, listen to teachers, listen to kids. I just wanted to see how the interaction was between all of them at various in morning or afternoon. And I happened to walk into one classroom, it was a second grade classroom, and I looked around and I saw a teacher teaching. However, I looked down on the floor and I saw a child kneeling, kneeling, you know what a dull rod is? No. It's a piece of wood which is round, long. And there may be 10 of those pieces down on the floor and he was kneeling on them, kneeling on them. Not good for your knees. No. So I went over to the boys and said, can you get up, please, and come with me? Yeah, sure. Okay. But it was a break for him, by the way. And I took him in the hall, and I said, what are you doing kneeling? I said, are you playing? He said, no, the teacher told me to do that because I was misbehaving. And I said, for real? He said, yeah. I said, look. I'm going to cut the pieces of wood. I'm going to take them to my office. So go back and sit in your chair. And I took the dough rods. And the teacher came over and told me, why did you take those? I said, 
I'll tell you what. You be in my office at 3.15 this afternoon, and I will tell you why. And believe me, I was not a happy camper, but she knew that. And I told her at 3.15, I won't go into the whole story, but I told her, I said, don't ever let me see you do that again to a child. We don't treat children that way. Our job is to educate kids, not torture them. And she was upset, very upset with me. But that's one of the teachers that should never be teaching. And there was a, another incident. Again, teachers, there are some teachers who think they're very good, but, oh, my God, I can't believe what some of them have done. One teacher I evaluated, and I was supposed to, the superintendent asked me to put this handicapped child in, a, in one of the grades and then evaluate to see that whether he's able and capable of handling the work in that grade, primary grade. And so I said, okay, I'll notify the teacher and then I'll go evaluate. So I notified the teacher and set the date and time. And when I went in the classroom to evaluate, I was looking around and I didn't see the little boy. And I said, hmm. I'm here to evaluate him, and he's not here. And I said to the teacher, is is he here? She said, no, I moved him to another room while you were in. I said, do you remember me telling you that I want to see him in your classroom to see if he can relate to the kids and to you? I didn't feel that was fair to the child. Why are you telling me that now? That's what I'm here to do. And so I said, okay, let's, let's evaluate you. I gave her satisfactory, but then I wrote a note saying, I thought you were very unprofessional, not allowing that child to be there so we can determine his placement. Because I can't evaluate him if he's not here and you didn't leave him in your room. So she came in to hear the evaluation into my office, and uh, who walks in with her is her husband. <laughs> I'm saying to myself, oh, geez. So I said, hi, how are you to her husband? Uh, fine. I said, are you ready, ma'am? And she was in the corner. But he was right next to me. And he came over to me. He said, my, my wife is an excellent teacher. And I said, why are you telling me that? So I came here to hear what you had to say about evaluation. I said, I'm sorry, but you can't stay here. I said, I'm evaluating a teacher. And do, you, do you have a degree in education? And are you supervising me? And he was really mad, very mad. So I told I had to tell him to leave the building, believe me. And I said, I don't want to see you in here again. If you do, I'm going to make sure you can't come back into the school again. And then as he left, she was beginning to leave with him. And I said, are you ready for the evaluation? And she just walked right out. So I never had a chance to discuss the evaluation with her. So I went back to my desk and I began writing up that uh, I don't understand why, and she was a pretty good teacher, by the way, not the best, but a pretty good teacher. I can't understand why you brought your husband in for evaluation. That, to me, was a no-no. You just don't do that in education. And number two, I said, you didn't stay for the evaluation. I should have given you an unsatisfactory, not a satisfactory, Mark, unsatisfactory. And, and it was left as such. They were pretty well known in town, too. That didn't bother me. I'm doing my job. 
But anyway, an old-time school, they got close ties, so you have to be careful. Sometimes they'll get some higher-ups saying, why don't you get rid of that principal? It didn't, that didn't happen, by the way. But anyway, we had an outing at that point, and I think she knew that I was not satisfied because I couldn't place a child. We're talking two teachers. Others, my God, they were vibrant, raring to go, very good teachers. And I'll add more in my book, by the way. But otherwise, the rest did their jobs. They came, on, came in on time. Uh, I'll now mention this last one teacher. He was a kindergarten teacher. According to the teacher contract, did I tell you this story? Yes. Okay. So I don't have to repeat it. So that was, that was another matter. And, uh, and she was upset, too, because I caught her. And that's my job is to make sure you're in your classroom. That's why I walk the halls. Everything has to flow. And if it doesn't flow, those kids are going to be harmed or could be harmed. Those are three things that were the highlight of the profession for me. But my, my final comment on that is that I have no regrets going into teaching. I have, I have the greatest respect for the teachers who are doing their job. And I not only was the principal of the school, but I also was asked to teach graduate courses at the university at, at, while I was in OEN. So I taught graduate courses by the department head. He asked me if I would do that. Yeah, sure. So that was fun. I enjoyed that. And I can go into that, too, by the way, but I'll put that in the book. That was a fun time because I could be as creative as possible and I can concentrate and focus on those topics that graduate students need to know before they become an administrator. So in Olean now, I really had to work to get things done. I found out through my readings and research and also trips that there's a lot I could do. And a couple programs that I'm very pleased with, having been a member of the Rotary Club, I was very fortunate enough to be selected to serve as chairman for an international program to Argentina. Out of all the people in the district, maybe 4,000, I was selected to serve as chairman because I traveled a lot. And I took with me five young people between the ages 25 and 40. And I had to train them what we were going to be doing there. And that was the further international education amongst the people in Argentina and the United States. So we would meet once a week either in Buffalo or at my home. They came to my home one weekend, and we had rooms for them to sleep in and fed them. And so we went to Argentina, took care of all the responsibilities of plane fare and expenses. and so It was all, all expenses paid. Not bad. But I worked my butt off to make sure that five people were organized. We had to order jackets uh, so all of us would look the same when we went there. And... Uh, when they were down at my home, we all went to this clothing store. The owner was a Rotarian, so he helped us out a lot. And that was paid for. So we traveled to Argentina, and we stayed at different homes of families. So we could talk to them, and they could talk to us. And then two or three times a week, we would attend a Rotary meeting where we would talk. 
We would share our experiences, such as our career fields, uh, what we are, what we plan to do in the future, what do we think about international experiences, and all that kind of stuff, and then ask answer questions. And then we also, all six of us, spoke at the, the final conference of the of the day, where they all eight hundred people came together, all Ar- Argentines. And there were all kinds of speakers, but we, our group, gave a talk about this program. And I told these people that prepare at least a 10-minute talk in Spanish, if you can, if not English. I did mine in Spanish, primarily because I had a tutor that worked with me for a year learning Spanish. And she helped me write it all out, the whole talk. And so we, we had a real great time visiting the various organizations, and we, we learned that the Argentines were not only friendly, but receptive, and more than willing to help us out in any way we wanted. And it turned out real nice, by the way. And so we stayed for four weeks, and then several of them went on and traveled on their own after that in South America, but the rest of us came home. And then we had to give a report, and we did that in Buffalo at a hotel, and Rotarians came to hear our, give, give our speech about that. And so that was, that was one of the highlights. The other highlight, there were many by more than that, the other highlight is I started a program called Partners in Education. John, we're going to save that one for the next episode, so I hope your listeners will join us when you learn about Partners in Education. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode one of From Last to First, the John Assetti story. It's been my privilege to work with John on this project. He has used it to jumpstart his autobiography, which will be coming out in the next month or two, and I will certainly let you know when that happens. We've linked to John's author page on Amazon.com in the show notes, so check out some of the great books by John Assetti. From last to first, the John Assetti story is a special production of the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. <laughs>